So if, if I gave you a quiz, how many of you could do all eight, our message, our statements of Jesus? Who remembers the first one? Okay, Eric, help us out. <laughs> what was our second one? Marcy, try to hold back. There we go. This week we're on number three, which is Jesus is all sufficient. Sort of as a precursor to what's coming in, in the future, Jesus is alive and present. Jesus is love. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the living word of God. Jesus is the Christ of God. Am I too loud? No? Okay. So in looking at this, looking at Jesus being all sufficient, you know, you could... You could do the Grand Canyon, deep and wide. You know, that's a nice little song there. Or you can get really focused. But really, when we look at Jesus being all-sufficient, it comes down into two broad areas. And that's what we're going to look at today, is two big, broad areas. And then from that, we're going to work on some practicality. So you had a handout in the bulletin. Take it out. Don't open it. It's the folded piece of white paper. Kind of set it beside you or, you know, around so that you can get to it. That's kind of your homework assignment to take with us. Because we're continuing on, for those who haven't been here, we're continuing on in the following pattern, which is we look, one of us will highlight and bring to you a message from God about that particular aspect of Jesus. And then the following Sunday, we'll have an unprogrammed meeting where we've all had a chance to dwell on that for the week. Oh, that's bad. Um, dwell on that for the week, and then we will come back and we will share what God has revealed to all of us. It's one of the, um, I think for me, it's one of the most amazing things about, to testify to about the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in, in a Christian, is to see how God moves through not just one person or two people, but how God will move through an entire body together. And you can sense the presence of the Spirit and then he will reveal more things about God and our truth in him will grow, our faith will grow. So I encourage you to actively participate this week by prayerfully going to God and, and thinking about why is Jesus all sufficient. So when you look at the word all sufficient, you know, in today's world of, of what I'd call marketing overkill, um, all gets used a ton. Sufficient usually applies to, I gotta say, a luxury car. If you were gonna watch the television ads, luxury car is probably the one that comes up the most. You know, it's like somehow if you look at this ad, you realize if I have car, fill in the blank, my life will be complete. There will be a statement made about me to the world. What is sufficient? What does it mean? What do we really need? We're looking at the the lyrics for the songs we sang this morning. We come to God hungry and empty. When we come to God hungry and empty, we begin to recognize who we are and who he is. Um, when we look at some of the lyrics like, who am I? Who am I that God would do this? I'm his beloved. Can you say that? Can you sit there and say that this morning? God, I, he, I am God's beloved. Give it a try, just, just for a second. Okay, now say it like you mean it. I am God's beloved. Very good. The first aspect of dependency on Jesus is something we are completely incapable of doing ourselves. Not even possible. And that is salvation. I'd like us to turn and look at Ephesians. Vinny's going to put them up. He's going to put them up and it's going to be an NIV. I read in New American Standard, so I've done what, what's most familiar for me. But they're not that different. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable for the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In him we have also obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we were who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were seated in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given us a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. There's, yeah, you could preach for months on this. But in that, God intended, that, that when I was looking through this, I'm like, Lord, what is it about Jesus that we should know? What is it about all of this? Twice, I, I kind of think, you know, I've always heard it said from preachers that if God repeats something twice close together, you should pay attention. That means that there's really something there. But think about this. God's kind intention towards you, God's kind intention towards you was that your sins would be paid for at the cross once and for all. The penalty of sin, which God says is death, the penalty of sin is death would be paid for by Jesus Christ. A free gift of love. A deeper love you'll never have. There is no deeper love. But God had kind intention. He looked at you specifically and said, you have a problem. Your problem's name is sin. I have a gift in my son Jesus. He will pay the penalty for your sin. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. And that would seem in everything that I've ever read and people when you talk to that, that is probably one of the hardest sticking points for people to, to get. Not get intellectually, but get inside. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It is all in Jesus. It all resides there. Our human nature reaches up and says, well, yeah, but I'm feeling a little guilty about this bad thing I did, so I need to go maybe put in a few hours at a homeless shelter. Do you know that at homeless shelters, and giving, the holiday season is the biggest impact. Food bank, biggest donations between Thanksgiving and Christmas. If we stop for a moment and ask ourselves a question, does the need end? Was there a need before Thanksgiving Day? Why do people do that? Because in their mind, they're trying to get the scale even again. They're looking at their daily life and they're saying, I gotta get, I'm out of sync here. You know, the old, the, Oh, I'm going to make a mess out of this. 
this, the, the old weights and measure scales. <laughs> they, they put one on and then the other one goes out of balance and you gotta bring it back into balance. So people think if I do enough good things, I'm okay again. That's why you see all this giving at the end of the year. That's why you see all of this momentary. I feel guilty, that makes me feel like this. I don't like feeling like this, I gotta go like this. God says the only payment for your sin the only payment, it's not on a scale, it's not what you do, it's simply in Jesus Christ. And our role is to believe that, to accept the gift and believe that. And that is the first aspect of all sufficiency. There is no other salvation except through Christ Jesus. None. People have spent a lot of time and energy working on this. There's none. It's here. And the part that jumped out at me about this, it was God's kind intention. He had kind intentions towards you, towards me. And to think about that for a minute, God's kind intention. So the first aspect of all sufficiency is Jesus and our salvation in him. If we look at 1 John 5, 11, 12, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Salvation begins by faith in Jesus. Our salvation grows in faith in the truth of who Jesus is. As we look at these different aspects of him, we look at the truth. Faith is the means by which God gives out the blessings. In 2 Peter verses one, chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, we begin to look at the verses that God says that Jesus, in Jesus, we have the ability to become a godly person. If you, today, is your, today would be your first day in Christ. If you were my age when that happened, I was 24. I had 24 years of not being a godly person. And then on that miraculous day, I'm like, wow, my sin is paid for. That did not make me a godly person going forward. I've spent the last, I guess I figured it out, 28 years working on that. I'd like to say that I've made some growth, and I think I have. However, in the vast scale of these things, if we were going to have an Eric Gord for growth as a godly person, I got to say, uh, I don't think I'm off the ground yet. I'm working it. I'm getting there. But we have the ability in Jesus, in our faith, and as we grow in the truth of Jesus, we now today have the ability to have a godly life, to have what God calls in other sections of scriptures, the rich, abundant life. So many times you hear Christianity presented and people say, great, I'm saved, now what? And they say, well, nothing's changed. Or I've been saved from hell someplace far away and in the future. Not really my problem yet, but just in case I'll get it covered. But then what? My life is still full of challenge. I still run in front of people. People come to me, they lie to me. People I perhaps don't tell the truth to. People, I'm just saying, the general Christian experience can be rather disheartening because you begin to see all these things that you're not. Because as you look at Christ, you say, I'm not perfect. He is, but I'm not. So am I consigned to a life that says, okay, become a Christian, suffer through, and then go to heaven. Skip hell. Why would you do that? But that's not what God's offering you, and that's not how God wants you to live. 
in the all-sufficiency of Jesus, he says, you believe in me, you accept the penalty for my sin. Now, great, the fun starts. And it doesn't always feel like fun. But the fun starts because now God is in the process of transforming us to be like Jesus. We can be more and more every day, minute and minute, like Jesus. That means our character becomes transformed into his character. And it starts with belief and it starts with faith. And then it starts with looking at who Jesus is. Let's look at these verses. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You have that ability now, today. You have that ability tomorrow. God has placed everything in Jesus. He doesn't say you're going to be perfect because he talks to us about forgiveness. You are going to sin. You don't want to, hopefully, but you're going to. It is impossible because deep inside of you, inside your original DNA, was this inheritance from Adam, and that was sin. But this amazing thing happens at the cross. Amazing. That hold on us, that slavery is broken forever. And now we are free to become like Christ as we go through believing and learning more about who Jesus is. And when we look at the practical application of what that means, then it's just like overwhelming. The first thing that comes to mind is the word trust. So if I asked you in this church setting, you know, I'll do the official, you're not supposed to do the hand raising thing, I'll do this. If I asked you the Sunday school question, do you trust God, what does everybody say? Yes. yes. Would you raise your, you know, you'd raise your hand, yes, yes, yes. If I, we, we've taught Sunday school lessons, we say, who do you trust? And the little kids all learn really quick to say, Jesus, right? What does that mean, do you trust God? What does that mean? Trusting God is actually, I think, revealed how much we do when we hit a crisis. The first thing about a crisis is you're going to figure out what you really trust, who you really trust. Where is your hope placed in? Is your hope placed in Jesus? Do you trust that he has kind intentions for your life? Not just in the future someday in heaven, but today? Or do you trust in a savings account? Do you trust in the people who are around you and then someone betrays you? Trust is the most fundamental thing that comes after belief. How much do I trust God? Over the years, God has challenged me on this, uh, especially as I kind of, I, uh, what did I say, I'm a recovering worry wart. Is that, is that how you say that? Uh, you, know, you can use a more technical definition. I'm a recovering codependent by the grace of God. You take on people's worries, it becomes a part of your life. My, your, I, there were times in my life where your emotional stress would have been my emotional stress. Not that my daily life was stressed, but because you were stressed, I would somehow take on your stress. Then as I walked with God through some trying times, really trying times, 
it almost seemed by minute, the question to God was, do you have my back? Am I holding you? Are you holding me in your hand? And he not once, never failed me. Now, that doesn't mean that the circumstances I saw were the circumstances I wanted. I remember many a time I'd be worrying over a situation, and Karen is, is my, my partner in listening to this kind of stuff, and at some point we would laugh, and I would say, you know, I'm thinking that maybe God's not asking for my solution on this. Just a thought. Maybe it's not my turn to solve this problem. But what am I supposed to trust in? as I learn the truth about who Jesus is, as I learn the truth about who God is and how much he loves me, as I learn about the truth of the presence of the Holy Spirit, I realize God's given me enough to get through this day, and he will give me enough to get through tomorrow. And really, 17 tomorrows from now down the road, that's not my worry. That's not my worry. I used to worry, agonize over uh, retirement. In the world of today, there is no such thing for pensions for most of us. There's this thing called 401k. I look down the road at retirement and say, yeah, that's not going to work out so well. <laughs> what do I do? How, who's going to take care of me? What's going to happen? And, and then you would get all these lovely, helpful, people well-intentioned, making all these presentations at work. Look, if you have a million dollars by this point, yes, you too can have a wonderful retirement. Yeah, let me tell you something. I'm lower on that scale getting towards that million dollars than anything I've ever been on. That's just not there. So if you don't have that, and the world tells you that if you don't have a 401k plan that'll support your lifestyle, how are you going to live? I used to get all stressed about that and worried. Actually, to the point where you could become useless. Useless in the faith to God because you're so consumed with fear. Trust means no fear. One day, God kind of you know, said, are we done with this yet? And I was like, oh, yeah, we are. Because you've taken care of me every day up until this point. Why is that going to stop? Your word says it's not going to stop. Holy Spirit testifies to your presence every day. That's not going to stop. Why do I have to worry? Stewardship, yes, but why do I have to worry? I don't. I can trust that God will take care of me regardless of the circumstances. So when you do trust... It can come in so many different areas of your life. I'm going to give you one example, and I'm just going to give you a moment to think about it for yourselves for a second. And you might not think of this as an area of trust. How many of us have ever prayed for someone who's in need? Be it physical need, financial need, safety need. How many of us have ever prayed for someone? You could do the hand-raising thing here. It's non, that one's non-threatening. I was challenged about eight months ago listening to someone speak Do I trust God to have that best? Not what's good, not what's easy for me to bear, but do I trust God to have the absolute best for that person in his hand? If so, when I pray, am I giving God a grocery list of how I want it to come out? Or am I going to tell him that I trust him? and that my heart is concerned for this, but that I trust him. So about eight months ago, I started practicing that. Whenever I try to pray for someone who's in physical need or whatever kind of need it is, I start with those words. Lord, here's the situation. I know you know the situation. 
First and foremost, I want to say, I trust you to have this person's best in mind. My heart desires this occurs, but I pray that I trust you have this person's best and I'm going to lift them up to you. That has made an amazing difference in my outlook as people go through circumstances, be it a health circumstance or whatever else is going on. Because now I realize I'm not asking God to fill out my order. I would like a restoration of health here. I'd like an ease on financial condition here. Uh, I'd like this person to not have had this bad experience, but I'd like them to forget it ever happened. You know, I, the, the list is endless. And these are all good things. And we think of them as good things when we pray for people. But think about that. If you started every prayer to God by saying, I trust you, Lord. You're sufficient. You have everything this person needs. You have what this person needs that I may not even know about. They may need to be in this circumstance, and they may need to be there for their very own best. I may not like that. I think sometimes it's harder to watch other people suffering than to bear it yourself. God challenged me on that once, too. Same thing. I was perhaps not having a codependent recovery day, and I was agonizing over, you know, <laughs> you know it happens. I was agonizing over someone and how they were being treated by someone else. And I was so involved in what I thought the emotions of this person was that I was just distraught. Could barely, I was having a hard time working, which, you know, at that point, that's a problem because I was so concerned about this person. And I'm like, Lord, what do I do? And he comes back and he goes, it was like, you trust me to take care of you. And I'm like, yes, you've never failed me, never once. Have you not seen me through to the end? I don't worry about that anymore for me. Do you trust me to take care of your loved ones? Yikes. Now I'm back to the fundamental. What do I believe about Jesus? Do I believe that he's all sufficient? Do I believe that he will take excellent, not good, excellent, loving, kind, intentional care of my loved ones? Or do I try to hold on to that? That's a challenging question. At that time, that question was, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not showing that, am I? I wasn't even thinking about that. Do I trust God to be sufficient for my loved ones? Not some far away, but my loved ones, my children. Do I trust God to be sufficient to care and lead and guide and walk, pull my children? What do I do? As a parent, that's kind of a hard thing to shut off. I can say as a parent, we get used to y'all being, you know, 24-7, 100% need. And it's awesome. Babies are fabulous. You'll see. Babies are wonderful. It's just this overpouring love. And then all of a sudden you realize you have to step back. Because there comes a point in time, very quickly, that child is God's child. It never is yours to begin with. You get to steward that child, but that child belongs to God. And that child has to grow into an adult, a mature person, as Scripture would say. That child has to grow into maturity and realize that they need Jesus just as much as you've already realized it. And then that child has to decide how they're going to live. And we have to trust in God's love for that child and God's kind intention. We have to ask ourselves, is Jesus all sufficient for the ones that we love? So think about that for a minute. If you changed your prayer life, 
and started every prayer with, Lord, here's the situation. First and foremost, I trust you. Think about that for a second. If we believe that Jesus is all-sufficient, we believe that we can change and we actively, through our belief, begin to participate in that process of transformation. If you don't learn more about who Jesus is and what is his character, how are you going to become like him? That's part of the process of we believe that he's all-sufficient, then we can be transformed. To be transformed, we have to spend more time with him. We have to learn what pleases him and what displeases him. We have to let his heart become our heart. We have to actively participate in that. We have to become not dependent on works. The, the, the church is a really dangerous place to serve. I know that sounds wrong since we were talking about serving. But in serving at the church, it can never be as simple as, oh, I'm going to go do this. Because you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because Rich stood up? I'm going to pick on you because you're my line of sight guy. <laughs> so Rich talked about service. Well, if I'm a guy now, okay, so the men's group are going to go help people. Well, I'm a man. I'm at the church. Gosh, I guess I, I better go help. That type of service, where's the attitude of your heart? You care what Rich is going to think of you. You care what other people looking at the men's group serving are going to think of you. If we believe that Christ is all-sufficient and we're becoming like him, we serve at the impulse of his hand. He tells us, go help this person. Sometimes real service comes when you say, Lord, this thing needs to be done and I don't like this. It scares me. It's uncomfortable. It smells. Whatever it is, I don't like this. I don't want to. He says, I know. This is my child. I love them. I want you to go love them. How are you going to do, handle that? If you're not believing, if you don't focus on the fact that Jesus is all-sufficient, you're starting behind. It's going to be harder. If you do works because it, you think it makes you feel good, look good, you haven't pleased God. Pleasing God is a willing child's heart who says, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't feel good about this, but we do, if you want me to do this, I'll do this. And then you go do it with your whole heart. Take your heart, think of this as a fence, throw it over the fence and go serve him. Because that's the only way that you will learn more about Jesus. That's the only way that we please him in our work. Works for the sake of doing works, that doesn't please him. As Quakers, if you look at this, you know, part of trying to bring this back in terms of what is our, our unique heritage as Quakers, one of the, from our, our early friends we inherited, is the freedom from religious symbols and the freedom from religious uh, traditions. And what that allows us to do then is to say, we believe that Jesus is all-sufficient, every need. And anything that gets in the way of you believing that, we're, we're going to love you enough to set it aside. Because if the symbol or the tradition has more meaning than Jesus, we've missed the boat. And so when we, as our public testimony of who Jesus is, if we say that Jesus is sufficient, he's sufficient. 
The relationship with Jesus is sufficient. We don't need water to baptize. It's not wrong, but we don't need it. We don't need to practice communion. The reason that those two come up most because of friends is because in the history of the church, those two things became, that while they are amazing, fabulous teaching tools, they became incredible distractions. You had entire congregations. I read through that, uh, you know, that 100 years of the church that came out a few years back where you get like a 20-second snippet on each, each little time. Do you know how many people killed? I'm not talking about just choosing to not talk to anymore, but actually picked up a weapon and killed over something about water baptism and communion? That broke God's heart. That's not what we, it's not Jesus. That, that's no testimony to the all-sufficiency of Jesus. So he said, no, as friends, we're going to set those aside. I will say as a funny ha-ha about Quakers, we can sometimes make a tradition of being non-traditional. That backfires too, so you gotta watch that as well. But always ask yourself, if I, am I dependent on there being music? We had an amazing time of worship this morning, amazing. But am I dependent on that? Can I worship Jesus if I don't have music? I'll help you out, the answer is yes. <laughs> I know that sounds strange, because you know you guys see me sitting up there all the time at the piano. I love music, but if music it becomes a distraction away from the all-sufficiency of Jesus, I'll be the first one there to tell you it's time to set it down for a while because Jesus is more important than music. So anytime we have a tradition or a ritual that becomes more important, we set it aside because we think that Jesus is all-sufficient. In our personal lives and in a church as well, this also leads us into the practice of simplicity. Now, simplicity sometimes gets a, um, a strange reputation. Sometimes people, when they think of simplicity, they think of, I can have nothing, I must go live in the one-room cabin somewhere away from heating and, and running water. You never underestimate how fabulous running water is. Uh, you know, that, that's not what God's talking about. There's a, a really good description of simplicity taken from a, a Quaker writer by the name of Richard Foster. The Christian discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. The central point of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of his kingdom first, and everything else will come in its proper order. If we're practicing simplicity, we are now free from our stuff, but we're free first inwardly. We recognize who Christ is. We seek after his kingdom first, and then our lives order themselves. So that can mean maybe you don't have a calendar. I would say today more than anything, simplicity in our daily schedule is probably one of the, the things we struggle with as a culture. Think about your day. Think about how many things you try to pack into a day. Then try to think about how many times you think you pack into a work week. Then, if your work week includes the weekend, this gets more complicated, but think about adding in a Saturday or a Sunday. Do you put, seek after God's kingdom first, his righteousness, and practice simplicity, and let, let everything else flow? Simplicity is, is not about giving up your stuff and suffering. Simplicity is about having a life that's ordered properly with God first. Now you can pull out your handouts. If you're missing, if you didn't get one in your bulletin, there's a pile up here. We can make sure you got one. 
Quaker tradition, I guess you could call it. I looked up the history of it a little bit. Is they, they sometimes talk about these things called queries. I think in today's language they start calling them like accountability questions. But what a query allows us to do is it asks, allows us to both corporately and individually ask ourselves, are we reflecting what we believe about Jesus? In our daily lives, in our corporate lives together, are we reflecting what we believe? Again, back to the crisis example. There's nothing like a crisis to find something being taken away from you to figure out maybe you had a little too much trust in it. Goodness knows that happened to me when I lost a job. I was like, oh, that was a devastating experience. But it showed me what I was trusting in. I was trusting in my job always being there. I think in today's economy, we know hold loosely. <laughs> hold tight to God, but hold loose to things. So for when we think about for the, the queries, uh, they're a tool to use to ask yourself what you believe. And so for next week in preparation for this, I want you to think about the first statement, Jesus is all sufficient. I mean, that's the first thing to think about. Is Jesus all sufficient to me? Ask yourself that question. Do you feel like Jesus is all sufficient and that's being represented on a church life? The next thing would be to take these verses from 2 Peter and what we have is bits of the scripture on the left and some thoughts associated with those. I particularly use the word ponder because I wanted to kind of break through the usual stereotypical, okay, we're going to answer some questions now. Uh, I looked up the definition of the word ponder, although it does think, make me think of Pooh Bear in his thinking spot. But <laughs> go to your thinking spot. Be thoughtful. Ask yourself. If I think about the grace, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Grace, God's gifts made possible through Jesus. I'll give you what I was thinking of for me as the first query. See, the thing about this is that my question is not going to be Mandy's question. It's not going to be Robin's question. Each one of us is going to have a different way to look at that. And then as a body, as a whole, we will be built up when we come back together and share. Well, when I think of grace, and am I reflecting that in my life? Do I believe that Jesus is all sufficient in this area? It made me ask this question of myself. So my first one was, God's gifts made possible through Jesus. Do my actions show that I don't have to earn God's love? Do I believe that grace is a gift? The key thing for me there is to ask myself, what do my actions show? So this week, I want you to, to, to this is a guide for you. You can use it or not, but take this home in preparation for next Sunday to look at the different aspects of how is Jesus all sufficient. Look at these verses, look at these thoughts, and ask yourself a question. And write the question down if you're willing to share it with everyone else, the question that you asked yourself. As we go through this week, we go through life thinking about the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I'd like to leave you with just a couple thoughts. Guard against confidence in the flesh. Anytime you hear yourself saying or acting, I've got this under control, it's be like this little red light that goes up inside of you. What is it you have under control? 
can't control the weather, can't control circumstances. God holds the, the days of our lives, the very numbers, the very hairs on our head. When you say, I've got this under control, what do you mean? Could mean a good thing. It could mean that you're working in partnership with God. Could mean not. But guard against your confidence in your flesh. The other one is that, and this is the last one, is that and I was, again, I got this, I, most of this, you know, I'm, I'm good at taking from other people and putting together another. I heard someone say, be purposefully thankful. I actually got to the point where I actually put it on the post-it, big letters, and smacked it right above where the computer sits on the desk. Because that's probably the place where I'm least thankful. But I have to be the most thankful is work. <laughs> These people. <laughs> be purposely thankful. Choose to be thankful for God that Jesus is all sufficient. Remind yourself to be thankful. There's lots of things we don't want to do. There's lots of things we don't understand. But then come back and say, I'm going to be thankful, Lord, because I know you're sufficient to this. You've got it all under control. I don't have to worry about this. I can trust you with this person's best. I can trust that you will lead me to become more like you. I can have the rich, abundant life in Christ now, today. If you didn't have it five minutes ago, you can have it right now. Just talk to the Lord about it. If you're not thinking you're going to have it tomorrow because you're stressed about what's coming up next, uh uh Be thankful to God. He has everything. We can trust him. We can walk with him, we can learn from him, we can become like him. So we've had a long morning. I'm going to ask us to still go ahead and just do like the first, that's a three verse. You know, there's an old hymn when I first started thinking about this subject weeks ago. There's a hymn that came to mind. So on the music team while they're getting set up again. Um, who knows the old hymn, Jesus Paid It All? I got some hands. Okay, and some hands. Well, this is kind of a... Uh, same melody line, just a, a little bit of a modern twist on it musically. But think about those words. Jesus paid it all. I find that to be such a tremendous reminder, a fantastic reminder. Jesus has done it all. I don't have to. I can just trust him.
Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one.